Welcome to 360 Conversations. This is a podcast featuring powerful conversations with female thought leaders, experts, and founders. We will be digging deep while sharing experience, insights, and tips for busy Generation X women seeking ways to strip back, simplify, live intentionally, and create space for everyday joy. I'm your host, Tamu Thomas, founder of the 360 brand. Welcome to episode 27. 27. I'm pinching myself still that I'm doing this podcast. I absolutely love podcasting and I wanted to have a podcast from round about 2007 when it was known as internet radio but didn't have the guts to do it because I didn't have anybody to do it with. Woo! If there's a lesson about just going ahead and doing something, this is it. Or maybe this is living proof that everything happens in its time. Anyway, let me focus on today's episode. I'm joined by Sean Kyra, who started off as a luxury wedding planner specialising in Asian and fusion weddings with her company Desi Bride Dreams. And Desi Bride Dreams just took the Asian wedding industry by storm. She started off in the, uh, with a career in marketing. This is a common thread. I'm coming across a lot of women who left careers in marketing and have gone on to do wonderful things. Anyway, from Desi Bride Dreams, uh, Sean set up the Asian Female Entrepreneur Collective, which is an organisation she has set up to help other women be successful in business. And within this group, she acknowledges the additional challenges that are faced by women from the Asian community. She also is an international speaker and a general all-round badass. During this conversation, Sean shares some insights about how she developed a profitable business and flipped and evolved that into another profitable business, we talk about money mindset and the fact that Sean didn't let her humble beginnings define her. We talk about the difference between manifesting and co-creating. We talk about the cultural nuances of things like co-creating and manifesting. Um, yeah, you just have to listen to find out more. Um we talked about lots of other things. It was a really wide conversation, but we went deep. We weren't skirting around. Um, we were talking all the things. I really thoroughly enjoyed chatting to Sean, and I think you're going to like our conversation too. Hello, beautiful people. Welcome back to 360 Conversations. Today, I am joined by a lovely lady, and I, I really like what I know of her and I really enjoy her posts but I have to be honest when she talks about my work wife Nicola Ray Wickham and when my work wife Nicola Ray Wickham talks about her I get a bit oh that's my Nicola nobody else's <laughs> Because this lady and Nicola are great friends. Um, so I'm talking about Sean Kyra, who is like the boss lady of Asian and fusion Asian weddings and also advocacy for Asian women in business. She has a wedding planning service called Desi Bride Dreams. And she has an she she's calling it advocacy but I see it as advocacy and coaching for female entrepreneurs um which is called the Asian Female Entrepreneurs Collective um yeah. yep good 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 and um I really love the work that she's doing I really love I'm not, and I'm not going to go on about it too much because I'm going to hand over to Sean herself so she can tell us whoops about herself and what she does but I really love what she is doing in terms of diversity and inclusion and representing Asian women. Because when we have conversations about diversity and inclusion, the tendency is for Asian people as a whole to be overlooked. And there are all sorts of layers 
um, with this. Reading The Good Immigrant was really insightful for me because it was talking about how people from various backgrounds, um, well, there were some essays by people from Asian backgrounds, Southeast Asian and East Asian backgrounds, where they talked about the impact of them being the quote-unquote model minority that just get on with things and don't complain, work really hard and go up the ladder, and how actually oppressive that was for them. Um, So I'm really pleased to see that there is a Desi lady repping Desi ladies in business, taking up space and really peeling back layers of, I guess, stereotypes about what it is to be an Asian woman. So I'm off my soapbox and that was just my view, my opinion. Um, Sean will speak for herself. Hello, Sean. Welcome, welcome. Hello, Tammy. Oh my God. God, thank you so much for such an amazing intro. Even including the part about Nicola. Thank you for being here. You're in Canada at the moment, aren't you? I am. So I'm in uh, Calgary at the moment. It's uh, half 12 here uh, during the day. So yeah, okay. I'm, I'm based in Canada at the moment. So <clears throat> we will talk about why you're in Canada. But before we do that, for those of my listeners that haven't come across you in your work, could you please share a bit about yourself and what you do? Yeah, sure. So I'm sure we'll get into this um, in a lot more detail um, later on. But basically, I've got two brands. Um, One is Desi Bride Dreams, which is a luxury Asian wedding planning company designed for fusion and Asian couples, uh, which was set up back in 2015 by myself. Um, and we've got a small team and we've worked on some incredible weddings, um, you know, with budgets in excess of, you know, 100K, destination weddings. Yes, <laughs> yeah, Lord. So yes, yeah, so I've done destination weddings. A lot of my wedding work has been featured in, you know, global uh, wedding blogs. I've been on the BBC Breakfast Show. I've been in most of the kind of biggest UK titles for my wedding work, which is incredible. Um, but more recently, which is basically more in line with my purpose at the moment. So back in 2017, I set up the Asian Female Entrepreneur Collective. Um, So that actually started out just as a free Facebook community. Um, I had no plans of it being a business or a kind of a movement, actually. But what that's actually now evolved into is me helping, you know, Asian female entrepreneurs predominantly, you know, with their mindset and their marketing and just really helping them step into the kind of highest version of themselves to create a life that they love and I feel like I'm on a bit of a global mission now to empower as many as many Asian and you know women of color entrepreneurs to break down those kind of cultural and economic barriers really come on yeah I absolutely love absolutely love so before that you were working in marketing Yes. What is it about marketing? There are so many people that I have come across that had a career in marketing that whatever happened or didn't happen, didn't happen. And they transitioned into coaching. Yeah. So my background, yeah, is online marketing. So in the marketing world, there's, you know, obviously various types Mm -hmm. and and I'm predominantly agency side. So when you work agency side marketing, it's very, you know, fast paced. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of pressure. You have a lot of clients. And I think I've always loved marketing. Um, but I've worked on some really big brands. And I think when I was working agency side a few years, well, back in 2014 now, and I had various different roles, I was just probably, Tammy, you're really familiar with this, but just literally working like flat out constantly. Mm-hmm. And I just, I know it sounds like such a cliche, but even back then I kind of knew that I was like meant for more. Yeah. But I just was a bit like, oh, I don't have a business idea. I don't even have a business plan. Um, you know, my first job out of uni, I was like bullied really badly. So 
I suffered from like anxiety and this was like coming up to 10 years ago now so the world well, the word anxiety like people didn't know what that no meant. That, no like, if you said mental health people be like oh what's that yeah you know? are you crazy um, there was no yeah, sort of scale yeah yeah, yeah yeah so um yeah I just I actually left back in 2014 I just literally um, wrote my notice out in my lunch hour and I was like I'm leaving and I gave wow. it to my accounting director yeah and I I'd left there was no um, room for discussion or to try and resolve not how can you resolve bullying but to address the bullying that was taking place so the bullying actually happened in my first role when I right. first came out of uni um like my first graduate role and I think back then you know coming up to 10 years now I was very much like uh you know like our culture is so linked to the whole shame and the whole guilt mm-hmm. and that really kind of riddled me I was a bit like I can't leave this job um because I think there was a bit of racism there as well mm-hmm. in, in terms of the bullying because it was actually by two, like work employees and we didn't have a manager which made things really difficult right um and I was just like I can't leave like this is my first job people are gonna think like I'm a failure Mm -hmm. I don't I don't don't have what it takes you know um you know I need to be more ruthless I need to be more this and that just internalizing all of that toxicity yeah yeah and I just kind of put up with it for like six months and then it got to a point where I just could not switch off from work. Um, yeah, so I just couldn't switch off. And um, it was just getting, you know, I'd wake up at like four o'clock in the morning and I would have like, my, my heart would be racing. I couldn't sleep. I would literally come home most evenings just crying to like my friends, my mum. And then I was like, you know what? I just need to leave. Like, it's I not worth it. It's not mm. really not worth it. But you know, when you're in that kind of fixed mindset and you just think, oh my God, like my world's ending and you know, your thinking is really boxed in. So Cause your, your job, your career defines you to a degree. Like that's how we used to operate. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm so glad I left. And then obviously afterwards I had various few marketing roles um, agency side kind of like jumping all of the time um, which is really good in the marketing world to get lots of experience but you know I just realized in the end that my freedom was really getting restricted so I had to like you know I could only take time off I think that I think the penny dropped when I wanted to go into India for my wedding shopping and I wanted to go for three weeks and they were like oh no you can only go for two weeks and it needs to be signed up for this manager and it can only be in these months and oh this is the campaign then so you can't go then I was just like no this is like someone's dictating my life here I can't I can't live like this. No. And I know, like, there, are, I've got friends who um, are employees in various sectors, and it really works for them. They have no desire to work for themselves. They don't want to be faffing around with tax and um, VAT returns and all the rest of it. But for me, one of the biggest bugbears, gosh, I like knowing exactly how much money is coming into my bank account every month. But apart from that, somebody saying when I can have lunch what time like somebody owning my time I just really 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 don't like it like when I have moments in business where I'm just like do you know what these people that want to pay me when they want to pay me this I feel like going to get a job but the moment that idea comes into my head it goes again because I just think someone owning my time like mm -mm 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 -mm." and also it's not just the, the somebody owning my time uh, it's the idea that you say to me, this is my job description, this is how much this job is worth, and you decide whether or not I can get a pay increase. I want to know that if I do what I need to do, and I'm not talking about hustling and busting my ass and all of that, I'm talking about if I do what I need to do, and I make sure that I am aligned with what I am here to do, the potential is not infinite like oh my god infinite but I can I'm I'm in control of my destiny that's what I'm saying yeah and I think that was always it's so funny you say that because that was my biggest problem with corporate your your so-called success or progression completely depended on what other people thought of you 
And I remember thinking, I, I remember saying to my account director, I really want to, you know, I've worked really hard. I want a promotion. I'm good at what I do. And it was like, oh, but you're going to have to work with more closely with the CEO and you're going to have to show this, this and this. And it's like my success is then depending on not just my skill set, but what someone else thinks of me. Yeah. And, and, and presenteeism. If you were there till like 10 o'clock each night. Yeah, yeah. yeah, she's wonderful. She's committed. She's great. Yeah. And it just and I think it really came down to because when I was growing up, so my background Sikh and my parents, you know, were a really strict Sikh family. Um, so, I mean, I wasn't even allowed to like go to like birthday parties until I was until like I was in year nine. And my parents used to, my mum especially, she'd be like, you're not going to town on your own. You're not going to these birthday parties. You're not going to sleepovers. Like my freedom was really restricted when I was younger. And I think that has that has become such a big value of mine. So anyone that tries to restrict my freedom or dictate mm-hmm. my time, I'm just like, just like no way. Mm-mm. No way. I've done my time. I've done my share. It's freedom time now. Exactly. Exactly. It's so funny with the sleepover thing. I think that um, I'm not sure about other communities, but definitely like Asian, African, Caribbean parents, they're not interested. I remember asking my mum about sleepovers and she was like, what for? You've got a bed. <laughs> What do you want there? And it took ages for me to allow my daughter to go to sleepovers with people like with a school friend. And I I ended up succumbing because I went to pick her up from a party. Everybody else was staying over. I said she could stay till nine o'clock. The kids ended up lying on the floor, holding my ankles, begging, please, can she stay? So she did. Apart from that, there was one other mum and her and I got on really well. But sleepovers for what you have a house (laughs) so yeah I and and I I had friends of mine who would automatically say they don't want to go to places because they knew they wouldn't be allowed to go to places so it's like I'm not even gonna bother like (laughs) the answer's gonna be no so in your bio I was reading that um you grew up in like the roughest part of Swindon yeah like drugs and prostitution and stuff now yeah. years ago I would have been like roughest part of Swindon what but I as a social worker did some work in Swindon and there were some real pockets of deprivation and yeah. Yeah. there was a there was an estate that I went to I kid you not it could have been a scene from Shameless with um women in their dressing gowns effing and blinding and this and that and I was like wow when you live in a city like London and you have you know my background is social work so I've been to lots of areas worked in lots of areas impacted by deprivation in all its forms so you kind of think that's it like okay then you hear about like uh and moss side and you think yeah okay that's it you don't think Mm. that areas like Swindon but but they definitely do um, it was, yeah. So you were living in, you grew up in Swindon, a mm. Sikh background. Um, the area that you grew up in um, had issues to do with, you know, low socioeconomic stuff. Um, and then you went to uni, had your corporate job, set up Desi Bride Dreams, and now you're a coach and advocate. I keep saying coach. You don't say that. That's my word. Let me take that back. You're an advocate (laughs) for Asian women in business. Talk me through coming from a strict Sikh background, living in an area impacted by lots of deprivation, to becoming the founder of a big wedding planning company, handling big budgets, being in all these big titles, being on the BBC. Oh, I bet your parents were really pleased when you were on the BBC. Yeah, they were. <laughs> and my mum was at the Gurdwara, so at the temple. I think all the aunties, you know how it is in the Asian community. Yeah. They were like, oh my God, your daughter was on, like, you know. <laughs> the BBC. I think Peak that was like moment. my proudest moment. Of when course. my mum was like, oh my God. Of course, of course. So tell me, tell me, because I'm just thinking about lots of people are moulded are, are quite heavily moulded by their environment and you yeah, seem yeah. to have transcended. So yeah, talk yeah. me through childhood to becoming mm. 
a hundred thousand pound wedding budget planner yeah so yeah so first of all um my mum actually I think it's really important to mention actually you know my mum really struggled to get pregnant so I was kind of like 10 years I was never meant to be there you know I was never meant to be born mm-hmm. you know my mum got pregnant after 10 years wow um and you know the doctors had actually told her she would never have a, she'd never have children but obviously she had me and my brother now my parents were um you know we weren't from like a well-off background at all my parents my my dad and my mum came over to the UK in the 70s from India mm-hmm. um so they didn't really my dad still can't really speak English um, and my mum can speak a bit of English and my brother then actually had like mild learning difficulties so growing up was very oh my god every time I think about it it just it just make it it just makes me a little bit emotional but it was very very difficult because you know I always felt like I was you know the odd one out if that makes sense because you know my parents it didn't feel like they were normal they were doing these like manual labor jobs for like you know my mum was working like two to three you know jobs at one time um and it was very difficult growing up but um you know my uncles and aunties around me were actually doing really well you know they're kind you know they were very very wealthy so I was kind of growing up watching them as well and not feeling like resentful or anything like that but actually knowing that you know things could be potentially possible for us as well um and you know what I really supported my parents a lot from a really young age so when I was like five years old six years old I'd be like inter you know being an interpreter for them so I would be like I remember like ringing up sky when I was like six years old <laughs> like translating for my Hello. <laughs> yes can we have the Disney channel the movie channels <laughs> Well, I remember when I was like 10 years old and I I was literally, no, 10 or 11, I'd completed my parents' mortgage application. Like, Blimey. I was 11 years old because, to be honest, we didn't have a choice, Tamu. Like, my mum, you know, couldn't speak great English. My dad definitely couldn't speak any English, you know, younger than me. Mm-hmm. And he couldn't really, you know, take that role. So, I early on, I really took on that role of kind of... It's like a caring kind of role. Yeah, like a father type. You know, kind of stepped into that role very early on. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just, uh, and I think part of me from a really young age kind of believed that I would always be supported. Um, So Come on. I think I just had that belief and faith from a really young age because I just felt like there was a lot of barriers and blocks up against us, you know, just like things like, you know, my dad, I remember once my dad got laid off and my mum was like panicking that would he be able to get a job and, you know, he was on job seekers allowance. Like I saw really kind of really difficult times, you know, and in comparison to other people, it might not be that difficult, but I felt like we had our own barriers that we were going through and then what happened was um when I kind of left um you know I had to make a decision about my secondary school choice and most people from my primary school went to this secondary school where everyone would go um it would like you know it'd be you know mixed and aestheticities and you know mixed race and Mm -hmm. different backgrounds and I made the choice actually to go to this um school secondary school that was um you know, I, I suppose it was definitely from a educational perspective, um, a lot further on, you know, the grades overall were brilliant, the offset mm-hmm. were brilliant. I made that choice from a really wow. young age, even though it meant I would have no friends at secondary because I didn't yeah. know anyone. Yeah. And I really do think actually that was like a turning point for me because I was literally the only girl, well, I, there was two girls of colour in my year, two Asian mm-hmm. girls. And one of them was me. And I remember feeling so lonely at school. Like, I had no friends. I used to, it sounds really, like, awful, but I used to just, like, hide in the toilets because oh, wow. I literally had no friends. And I felt such an outsider. And mm-hmm. I obviously looked very different to everyone mm-hmm. else. I had this crazy curly hair. And, you know, obviously, predominantly, my, my, my school, not even my year, my school was 
you know, white children. Like British, yeah. Yeah, and then it kind of, I kind of got through that and that was really difficult. Um, I got really good GCSEs and then obviously A-levels and then um, university got a brilliant, brilliant degree. Um, and I think after the kind of, you know, I, around 16, 17, I really started challenging my parents on, you know, when they were like, oh, you're not going out, you're not wearing makeup, you're not cutting your hair, um, you're not going on holidays. Like, I was just like, I am, and you can't stop yeah. me. Because I, yeah. I was just like, what the hell? We're in the UK. Like, we're not in yeah. India. This isn't the 70s. Like, I just need to just pave my own path. And mm-hmm. I did that from a really young age. So, you know, when I was 18, I went traveling, and it was, like, so frowned upon in my family. Um, and, you know, my uncles and aunties were kind of making comments, like, to my mum, like, how come you're letting her go? You know, it's almost a bit shameful that a young Asian yep. woman's going traveling traveling on our own when she's 18 um and then obviously out of uni I had some you know great marketing roles and then I got married in 2015 um and then literally four months after my wedding um I set up Dissy Bride Dreams which was you know the luxury Asian wedding planning company that why say sorry say that again why so I've always been a little bit obsessed with weddings ever since mm-hmm. I was younger. So like, you know, because we weren't out, you know, um, allowed out that much. Um, so we grew up just watching Bollywood films constantly, like me and my brother. Um, I just had this fascination with like weddings from a really young age. Um, I kind of always knew that I wanted to work in a creative industry. Um, and I, my eye for detail um, meant that, you know, in terms of, I was very good at the designing aspects, so designing events and you know, the flowers, the centerpieces, the lighting and all of those things. And I think because my own wedding, um, you know, was like so organized and, you know, I think a lot of people were like, because I was a wedding blogger before then. So the year before mm-hmm. I was blogging about my wedding um, and then my my wedding blog was getting a lot of traction. So people were like, oh, why don't you try out wedding planning? And I was a bit like, okay. I was like, that's not a real job. That is just, um, you know, you, you, it sounds like such a cliche, but the film the wedding planner Jennifer Lopez I was like this isn't a real job like you know you can't really make any money out of this um but then I thought you know what I'm gonna try it and then yeah we we got so many clients on launch um and then 2017 2018 fully booked summers with weddings and clients so firstly you go, girl. That is brilliant. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. I love that. Um, and I love the fact that the things that you have done that seem to have had a biggest impact on your career are things that you've almost been pulled towards rather than you... Cause, cause, mm, and this might be a bit woo or whatever, people often talk about, I'll outwork this person or I hustle hard, I worked really hard for what I got. And I just think... Sometimes, because sometimes that works for some people. Yeah. I'm not even yeah. going to front. That works for some people. But I've seen real magic happen when people are pulled towards yeah. whatever is their calling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, yeah. I love the fact that you've said that, um, or that that has been your experience and you're sharing it. Um, so I want to get into the money. Mm. Because you've talked about coming from pretty much a working class background and seeing relatives of yours living what looks like an affluent life. Yeah. And you and rather than being jealous, that giving you an indication that there's more out there for you. But I know that and I'm not and I'm confident in saying it's not just my personal experience a number of people I have had conversations with, whether it's on this podcast or to do with 360, because money is my thing at the moment. Yeah. yeah. Lots of people from a working class background, money and the money stories we inherit Mm -hmm. through our childhoods can really have an impact. Not just the... My observation is it all stems from lack, but... 
it doesn't just occur when there is lack. So for example, I know people who have come from a working class background. They may may even have come from not just working class. They may even have come from like poverty Mm. and they've done well for themselves and they hold on to the money because they're worried about it going and not coming back. So I want to, I, Please, could you, as much as you're comfortable with, share some of your money story Mm -hmm. and then some of the work that you have done to transcend that? Because I'm just thinking, had I... Had I been you and just started a, a, started a blog and then it turned into a business, because of my money stories, whilst I would have been okay in doing what I was doing, inside I would have been full of chaos. Yeah. Because money has been scary at times. So, yeah, so I want to hear a bit about your money story and how your money story has, if at all, changed to support you where you are now. Yeah, so... Actually, hold on. Hold on. Let me ask that again, because that was really confusing, I think. So, please could you share, as much as you're comfortable with us, your the money story you grew up, you grew up with and how it changed, if at all, what work you had to do to go from coming from a background of being working class and seeing other family members with what looks like abundance to you being in a position where you're handling really big budgets and in control of two businesses that are turning over a decent income. Yeah, so I think it's really important to, for everyone listening to this to know that it has been such a transformational money story and a money mindset. So to give you guys even a bit more background, um, you know, as you already know, that I wasn't brought up in money at all. Um, And actually, you know, when we were growing up, I wouldn't say, you know, definitely in the earlier days, we struggled for money. Um, And I think that in terms of my own money story, I was never that great with money in the beginning. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, I would sabotage a lot. I would earn money and I've always been, you know, comfortable, but mm-hmm. I just wasn't looking after my money at all. When I was working in corporate, I was just, you know, I just, I'd get paid, I'd spend it. And that was mm-hmm. it really. Um, I wasn't really... I wasn't very aware of um, what's coming in, what's coming, what's going out. And um, the work that I've done, which I'll talk about in a second, since probably 2016, um, has really enabled. So last year, we hit over six figures in business. Um, <laughs> which is like, you know, you probably know this, Tammy, in the coaching world or whatever you want to call it. It's like the that is grail. Like, uh, it's like it's like the holy grail. It is. Everybody's talking about these six-figure businesses and yeah, six figures and multiple and six figures. Like six is the one. Exactly. And you know what? Like when when I first heard the fit like term six, someone one one of my previous coaches challenged me to do six figures last year. I kind of like cringed um, and I was a bit like, I don't think that I could possibly hit this at all. You know, six figures, it's it's such a jump from what I was earning in corporate. and mm-hmm. um, Sounds like wild money. Yeah, it was like, there's no way I can do this. Like, that would have, it basically would have meant me nearly tripling my income from mm-hmm. 2017. Um, and I think, that my money story has obviously really transformed and the beliefs I had around money when I first started my business 2015 slash 20 you know going into 2016 was I used to believe that um I had to work really really hard for money Mm -hmm. and this was very much linked to my wedding planning business because obviously being a wedding planner is a highly stressful job um and you're in control of so many elements so that was my first belief that I had to work really really hard for money and I always used to think that 
you know, you hear these people and they're like, abundance like flows to me and money just flows to me. I was like, what the hell? Like, that does not happen with me. Like, getting money was just, it felt very hard. It felt very yep. difficult. And it felt like, and I think as women, we really attach our self-worth to money and paying clients. So I remember in the beginning, like, if a client would say no to me, I'd almost attach, like, the whole of my self-worth and the beliefs around myself. To that no. To that no. And I used to, mm-hmm. you know, if someone said no to me, like a wedding planning client, I would be down for about two days. Like, no joke. It would really... This is the realness. Yeah, it would really yeah, upset would me, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, like this is crazy. And um, I think it really started when I just started doing a lot more research into money and like money. And then I started looking into like money stories. And then I started looking into um, this is just stuff that I was researching at the time, like sabotages and how we basically sabotage ourselves. Um, for, for to basically stay in our um, to stay comfort, in our zone. comfort zone, yeah. So I was subconsciously actually sabotaging. So what I was doing was I wasn't following up with clients. I was sitting on opportunities. Um, Sean, <laughs> <laughs> that used to be my song. <laughs> yeah. That was my jam. I used to literally, and I started becoming really aware of my sabotages, and I, then I just started, you know, really looking at my money blocks and, you know, the money blocks I had around my income ceiling. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I remember actually, and Nicola will tell you this, I remember getting on a call with Nicola like three years ago. And I, I remember saying to her, Nicola, if I can just earn a thousand pounds a month, like <laughs> all I want is a thousand pounds. I don't care about anything yeah. I'm yeah. like, you know, I don't care if I'm really successful. I just want to earn a thousand. And that Please. was like, that was like back then. This was like, we're talking like 2016, right? That's not that long ago. It's, it's not. It was, it's, it's about two and a half years ago. Yeah. Um, And then what I kind of started to, I then started really looking at my money beliefs and where they had come from mm-hmm. and then normally from your parents actually so my money stories were a lot around you know the way that my parents spoke about money um, oh we'll never be able to afford that oh we'll never have that or that's too much money and I think the first thing I started doing was being really conscious around what I was saying about money so I would not like you would never hear me then I just stopped saying things like oh I can't afford that oh I can't um I can't have that or I'll never have I haven't got money for that that. yeah Yeah. that's where I think it first started second thing was I really started to track every penny so without sounding a bit woo-woo I just started like a kind of like a bit of a love affair with money you know I started um just really you know if if there's money hanging around in the house just like dumped in my bag or my purse or around the house I started giving it a little home um I started get looking really closely at my finances. So what was coming in, what mm-hmm. was going out, like to the penny. So I got yep. very, very a bit obsessive about that. Um, and then I think I was just, then I got into obviously, um, I think that the, the a turning point was when I remember um, putting Canada on my vision board. Mm-hmm. And literally never been to Canada a lot, a lot this part anyway the lakes and everything and um then what actually happened was my husband like a few months later got a project in Canada and it was Hello. The, it was the area exactly of what I had seen like what I'd put on my vision board so the mountains the Canadian Rockies mm-hmm. and then I was like okay there's definitely something in this um and then I started I just started vibing really high so I tried to raise my vibration on a daily basis so there's obviously loads of different ways you can do that it can be music it can be getting rid of you know 
negative people. Clutter. Cl- decluttering is one of them. And then what happened from that was just crazy stuff. Like I manifested free travel. I manifested this free trip to Marbella. I manifested seeing Gabby Bernstein. Hello. Like. And you know, the thing is, yeah, I just need to cut in yeah. with the manifesting. I have resisted that word for the longest. Mm. I really didn't like it because when I had heard it, I wasn't ready for it and I didn't understand the work that goes on around it because when people talk about it, there's none of the how. So it's just like, and I manifested this of my dreams, but there was none of the how. And what you're saying about the vibing higher, it's so funny, like directly in front of me, I've got on my, um, I've got a piece of paper and I've actually done bubble writing and it says laugh sing dance help um I was talking with um I'm having some coaching with um, a lady called Nancy Florence and she was asking me what are the markers of a successful day for you and I was like um when I feel like I've accomplished stuff on my to-do list when I'm not going to bed thinking oh my gosh I've, I've gotten to do this I've got to do that when I've made sales she said no without any of that external stuff what are the things that make you feel good what are the things that make you feel like um you're on a high vibration yeah and it was yeah. laugh sing dance help people and she said right so you've got to make sure you strive to do that every day either do it all or do some but that's what you've got to um that's what you've got to strive to do because you're thinking too much and you're not feeling enough and it's funny that she said that because one of my big things for this year is to go with my feelings more and stop being so analytical mm-hmm. because my anal- analysis often paralyzes me so I've been doing that and things have happened um, and this happens quite often so if we talk about manifesting I manifest regularly but I don't keep it because mm-hmm. I don't sustain it and I start to question and, and poke holes in things so it's, it's a real practice and I've got that in front of me so I know I've got to do those things daily and there are things that I do um, about the, the, the laughter often comes with slowing down and thinking about something or experiencing something. The dancing, I take the time out, I stop doing whatever I'm doing, I put on something and, and I dance. Same with singing. I'm not really going to be typing on my keyboard and singing at the same time. It's just something that's so pure. Mm-hmm. And then the help, for me, I, I'm a consumer. I, I battle with it and now I'm just surrendering to it. I like to consume information. I like to read things. Then I want to read the other thing about that. Then I want to go deeper Mm -hmm. into that bit. I really love um, learning stuff. And the help is the great vessel for the stuff that I'm learning. Mm. And there's been um, for, because I occasionally do independent social work because 360 is not in the position where it's paying me six figures yet (laughs) (laughs) it's gonna happen but um there's an invoice that I do work for local authorities that they've been quibbling over for ages four months and local authorities do this stuff all the time so I have today is Wednesday I've been doing my dancing singing helping da 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 all of a sudden today my my invoice has been approved well, this is exactly what happens. You all may, it's like, it's so funny you say that. You have to detach from the outcome. You really mm-hmm. do. And you mm-hmm. do have to really mm-hmm. surrender. And yep. that is a practice in itself. For someone mm-hmm. like me who, you know, last year I was so adamant that I wanted to do six figures plus. Like I would, you know, it became a bit obsessive. But at points I had to surrender. And actually, it was, every time I did surrender, and I had seven weeks off last year, so I did travel a lot. Um, yeah. And it was crazy because every time I'd go on holiday, so October I was in India for most of it, for most of October for my brother's wedding. And I literally, I mean, I didn't even have Wi-Fi like for a few weeks. Like, I literally wow. detached, like so detached. And, you know, we'd spend so much time with just family, just laughing, no one looking at phones because obviously mm-hmm. you couldn't get any Wi-Fi in the village. Yeah. And then I came back in November. I had my highest income month last year. And I think that comes from the surrendering because you mm-hmm. almost, 
when you're so attached to the outcome, you're you're strangling it. So you have to mm-hmm. be able to detach and surrender. But mm-hmm. that is the hardest part of the process, mm-hmm. for sure. Because that's trust. You've really got to trust yeah. what you can't yeah. see. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Sean, how this, you know, quite spiritual language that we're using, how does that sit with your culture? <laughs> <laughs> that's such a funny that's such a great question because I was trying to explain this to my mum because um, obviously my my parents are quite religious like my mum goes to the temple every Sunday you know she goes to the Gurdwara my husband's quite religious and my in-laws are as well um, I've never been overly religious like I've never you know I cut my hair I drink alcohol I eat meat like I'm no way a practicing Sikh um, Naughty girl. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I I remember trying to explain to my mum a few months back, like, the, the notion of the universe. And I just couldn't explain it in Punjabi. I was like, it's really struggling. Um, and I do think that in my culture at the moment, I'm not really seeing that many women of colour having these conversations mm-hmm. and I think I'm really lucky because I think when my first of all my, my husband started seeing me kind of like meditating with incense and with crystals and pulling like you know oracle cards day, he was mm-hmm. a bit like okay like okay. what's going on here um, yeah. but he's been really supportive and and I think that's made it so much easier for me. Yeah. Because I remember we went, we popped into a crystal shop a few weeks ago and I was like, do you mind if I go? Like, are you okay to come in with me? And he was like, oh, you know, it's just like an additional support for you. And it really is. Oh, um, keep him. Definitely. He's been really supportive. <laughs> so I think that helps. But if I was to explain yeah. this to like my aunties and uncles, I think I would, I think they would find it really difficult to understand. Mm. Because it's, it's not... It's so different to what they're used to. Mm, yeah. yeah. Like, my mum, she loves, like, the, the idea of crystals and things like that. Um, she's really... Do, do you know what? It's quite interesting, actually. So, my parents are from Sierra Leone. And lots of traditional African religions are very spiritual. They are very much into the unknown and um, trusting things that you can't see and using things and rituals. But because they're used to that, that is very different. So if I was to speak to my auntie in um, Sierra Leone and say the universe, she will say, well, God made the universe. And I'll be like, (laughs) yeah, but I'm I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that, you know, one is better or worse or whatever the case may be this is what I believe and she she'll just be puzzled because for her it's Jesus it's God it's the born again church she goes to and they would to a degree think what kind of a witchcraft is that like these stones and And I yeah I do feel like if I was to feel exactly like you if I was to speak to someone they would think it was a bit witchcrafty and a bit weird mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and a bit mm-hmm. you know strange yeah but I think you you know those parts of you can exist you know and I think that's the big thing about spirituality and I do see this a lot that you cannot you know you can't keep preaching it to people and trying to make no. them believe it like Mm-mm-mm-mm. it just doesn't work that way when you're ready you will yeah. even things like cliches there are lots of things that previously I would have dismissed as cliche. And now that I am in that place and I am open to that and I can see how supportive the things that I do are for me, those things that were deemed as cliche are no longer cliche. Mm-hmm. And words like manifesting no longer trigger me yeah. because yeah. whilst somebody might not be explaining the how... I don't know what their how is, but I know what my how is. And I know that when I sit down, lie down, whatever, and visualize in an instant, something yeah. to do with that yeah. vis- visualization will unfold. You've just got to be open and ready. Yeah. And I think, yeah. you know, another time, I know manifesting triggers a lot of people, especially people of color it can really really trigger so I think another word to use is potentially co-creating with the universe and 
also, the thing is... No, because my family be, no, you co-create with God. (laughs) (laughs) That's probably what my mum would say as well. (laughs) In her accent, in her Indian accent. But I think that... I think the practice to, you know, I think if someone said to me, like you said, like, how have you got here, you know, from from probably a really lack mindset, you know, from such bad money habits from when I was at uni to even when I was... Comes in, goes out, comes in, goes out. Because making the money is not an issue. The money gets made. Okay, then now you're in a position where you're making a higher volume, but it was never the making bit for me. It was always the keeping and growing it sorry that I froze there I was just saying that making money has never been the issue it's been keeping it sustaining it and growing it that is where the sabotage would come in big 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 time and I also think Tammy that we've been in this culture and I think it's definitely shifting now we've been in this culture for the last few years whether it's online coaching or mentoring or whatever you want to call it it was like the in thing to do was like have your abroad photo shoots, travel first class, um, you know, spend lots of money abroad, um, stay in luxury hotels. And I kind of like, not that I got bought into that. And I mean, I've tra- I have actually manifested free class, free first class travel. But listen, let me get my manifesting pants on right now. <laughs> But I think the more important conversation to actually have is, and this is what I, um, and me and Paula, who's been on your um, podcast as well, mm-hmm. um, have spoken about is being savvy. So being yes. a savvy business woman. Yes. And this is something um, that is not really being taught at the moment. I see so many, you know, I think I watched something the other day and someone was saying they weren't half a million um and most of it's going on their team and it's like they have no recollect they don't they're not tracking their numbers and I think that's where my you know with Indians and Asians we're very much like we are very hard working in terms of our background but we you know in terms of the numbers they are quite savvy people you know from my background and I think that I think as women in general, all of us, whether, you know, you're white, you're Asian, you're black, whatever it is, I think it's time that we took, A, first of all, took back the power and also be savvy businesswomen, you know? Yes. Don't just book a first class flight because it'll look great on social media, you know, maybe... Or even aside from that, because I remember a little while ago, somebody was talking about being frugal and immediately I was like, ugh. But I thought about frugal in terms of being tight yeah and it's very different and I'm really into this conversation about making the money but living well below your means that makes such a big difference like just because you've got it you don't have to go and spend it so for example for ages and ages there has been a particular Chanel bag and I think when I've arrived I will get that Chanel bag but now I'm just like do you know what I really love this British designer Ali Capolino and her bags are beautiful I will have that bag because why did I want that Chanel bag because it tells people I've arrived I don't need to announce that let my money whisper it doesn't need to shout exactly and this is it and I think I'm seeing this a lot online at the moment and it's like you know the joy and you talk about everyday joy the joy for me especially are experiences and conversations and connection with myself with loved ones um you know with friends and family and experiences don't have to be expensive you know joy is not expensive it's picnic in the park with my daughter and friends sometimes that is the best ever You know, and and I think this is what um, we really do need to start and start thinking about. Is I was I was listening to it's a lady called Genevieve Davis, and she's got a brilliant um, 
it's um there's lots of different ones so it's advanced magic um creating magic like there's a series of books and she actually Mm -hmm. talks about it's just so refreshing to hear actually you know creating kind of six bank accounts one with like savings ones with your emergency funds ones with like a you know and I just think as women we really need to because I think we've been fed by the media by Instagram by you know certain influences that we need to have this like crazy lifestyle um you know not the case at all and I love this thing about the bank accounts so I um have got a account with Monzo um the banking app and it's really easy to have different pots for your money so I've got one pot where the numerology thing, I get £1.11 goes into there every single day um, without fail. There's that. Then I've got my fun pot. Then I've got my love sum. Then I've got my daughter's um, pot. Then I have got a long-term savings pot. And I don't keep the money in the long-term savings pot. I just like to see it. And then I transfer it into a longer-term account, which has got a better interest rate. Yeah. Since spitting, and then I've got, you know, um, so the main part of my current account really is where money goes in and out. So that's where I, my bills, my shopping and all of that. That's where I, like when I'm using my debit card. Since doing, and it's so easy to track your money yes. with that. Since doing that and actually writing down my money tracking, mm-hmm. I have not had those situations where I'm refreshing my bank account looking for that invoice. As much as I was going on about the local authority that I've been chasing for ages for my thingy, that's my money. I did a hard piece of work for that. You all commended me for my work. You have reused my work in pieces of work you've done. Mm -hmm. Give me my money. Don't start quibbling about my travel and all of this kind of nonsense. But whether it's the £1.11, whether it's the separate accounts, well, the separate pots within the account whether it's physically writing things down I don't know but there has been a shift in money coming and staying this is and I am now in a position where I'm earning practically just over half if that of what I was when I was working full-time Tammy that is absolutely incredible and that's where it all starts because I remember when I was first of all uh, you know a few years back I was like I just want to make my corporate income like that's all you know like the thousand pounds a month or whatever you know and you work up um, and I really do think once you start looking after your money and also that feeling as well so it all again goes back to feeling when you can see your money mm-hmm. on apps when you can see it on paypal like me i check my paypal every day um or you can see it in your account you just you don't feel you know in that kind of oh stressy horrible position and i think you know before i used to dread opening any kind of bills or any letters or i'd be like oh my god like what is this now but now I'm just on top of my money game like you are it sounds as well and I really do think subconsciously and consciously you then attract more abundance because you're you're taking care of the pennies and the pounds Um, and then it just you're in alignment literally yeah and it naturally just starts flowing to you and you're like you know I had people reach out to me this morning we had like a a launch of like my membership last site last week and we obviously closed the doors on Friday but the link was kind of still hanging around and then Mm -hmm. like you know in the last two days three people have signed up and it's like you know it's just not you know because you were detached from the outcome and I know some people listening might think well um I live here and my life has been this and my life has been the other I'm not dismissing that and I'm not saying we're too, you know, I'm a black woman, you're an Asian woman, you've come from a, a humble background where your parents still um, don't speak English fluently, yeah. so that would have been a barrier for them for employment and things like that. So we're not women who come from a privileged background talking about that. I, you know, I spent the first 11 years of my life on the 13th floor of a tower block. We lived in a council flat in Labrick Grove. Um, you know, there wasn't lots of money, but I saw my mum what she did do the really work hard thing which is why my money story is about working hard to be able to create a better life and to be able to do things like buy a house get decent cars get more education so that she was able to do stuff so I certainly am not coming from a perspective of privilege but what I'm what 
what I want people, what I hope people can hear from this conversation is that it is possible, it is possible, it is about you rather than your environment, rather than allowing your environment and the people around you to dictate your thoughts, what you're emitting and what you are growing into. You take responsibility for that. Yeah. And absolutely Tamu and I I really whoever listens to this and I think this is why it's such an interesting conversation is that change is available to all of us like it really a million percent is and I've definitely seen it like in my life I think it's just you know especially in the last few years I just can't even believe I'm sat in Canada um last year I manifested I was literally on a plane every month it was insane and that change has been available to me because because I just had an open mind. You know, there's so many people that are just like, oh, this co-creation is going to work for me. This manifest isn't going to work for me. Um, I'm just, you know, stuck in my full-time job. I, you know, I don't have the time. You know, there's just so many excuses that you can have or you can take some radical responsibility for your life. Radical. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And change is available. Change. Definitely. Change is available. That, as Oprah Winfrey would say on Super Soul Sunday, that is a tweetable moment, y'all. That is going to be a quote that goes along with this. Sean, I could chat to you all day long, and I haven't even gone through everything that um, I want to go through with you. We're just going to have to have um, another conversation. Yeah. We're going to have yeah. to, we're going to have to have, do you know what? I'm putting it out there, actually. We are going to have to have, whenever it is, when Nicola's ready, because you know we're doing our wellness yes. is wealth stuff yeah. and we're talking, yeah. we're going to have to have a three-way oh conversation. God. Yes. Um, it will never end. It will never, ever end. But we're going to have to have a three-way conversation because oh, there's just so much here. There's so much here. But I'm paying attention to my podcast stats. And I know around about an hour is gold for yes. my listeners. Yes. So before we close this and then I immediately WhatsApp Nicola and say, oh, my God, Sean is wonderful. <laughs> Could you please share some books or resources that you think will help people specifically with understanding change is available to all of us? Yeah, sure. So I definitely, I recently um, read Abraham Hicks, Ask, and it was given. So very, very woo-woo. Um, I love Abraham Hicks. Very, very woo-woo. And um, I actually last week listened to uh, Rachel Hollis, Girl, Wash Your Face. That is a brilliant one. Because, again, it talks about all of her obstacles. So she was a mum, you know, against all odds. She was successful. So that's a great one. The Universe Has Your Back by Gabby Bernstein. Another, you've got to be, again, ready for that one. I remember picking it up, like, a few years ago and thinking you've lost me and then I re-picked it up yeah. to, again and totally got it so I think yeah. those three are and obviously the Genevieve Davis ones as well so there's yeah. a series of those which she's a British yeah. author very down to birth makes it very simple to understand so those, those would be amazing to listen to okay I will definitely link those in the show notes and <clears throat> I know you just said that you've closed your doors and your community mm. Do you have anything else coming up or is there a waiting list for people that would like to join? Yeah, so at the moment I've got my um, Shine and Rise Mastermind open. Um, That starts at the end of April and it's primarily for women who are in the creative industries. So whether that's weddings, wellness um, or any kind of creative industry and that's a six-month mastermind which is open now. Wow. Please send me a link so I can add it to the yes. show notes. Yes. Desi Bride Dreams. Yes. Yeah. Is that closing? Uh, what, what's happening? Yeah, so, yeah. We never touched upon this, so we'll have to... Uh, I know. We'll to Sorry, the money. Episode. We just went down that money rabbit yeah, hole. <laughs> so, I mean, I found, obviously, I was definitely more aligned and passionate with AFEC, the Asian Female Entrepreneur Collective. And I realized this. Mm-hmm. I just thought last year it was a phase 
Um, but what actually came about, it wasn't actually a phase. I was just slightly out of alignment with it. So we've obviously got some weddings this summer and we're working with a few clients at the moment. But that eventually, we will stop taking wedding clients. And yeah, wow. and then we're going to be introducing Asian wedding planning uh, courses for Asian, um, you know, up and coming aspiring Asian wedding planners or anyone that wants to get into that market. Um, yeah. And then obviously AFEC is absolutely the focus. The one. Mm. Yeah. Would you sell your bride company? <sighs> you know what? My husband has actually said this to me. I think because it's got such a, an amazing brand created around it. We are one of the UK's leading Asian wedding planners. Um I don't think I would sell it because I think the education okay. will come under that brand for wedding planners. Okay. So yeah. probably yeah. won't sell it. Wow. Um, and for people that aren't connected with you already, where can they find you? Yeah, so I've got a free Facebook group, which is Asian Female Entrepreneur Collective. Um, there's over 3,000 women in there. 3,200. 3,000! I read it. I thought it said 300. 3,000. Yeah, so I've got a really engaged community over there. We talk about everything and anything. Um, on Instagram, I'm under Asian Female Entrepreneur and then obviously Facebook, Asian Female Entrepreneur Collective. I will link all of those. Um, Sean, man, I've really, 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 really enjoyed Me this too. conversation. It's midday where you are. It's 8.30 in the UK p.m., I can't go to bed. So much to talk about. <laughs> Not that I was going to go to bed straight away. There's so much for me to think about. You've just given me some vim to do a couple of bits that I was going to do tomorrow. I'm going to do them this evening. Um, so thank you for the coaching session. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thrusting this title upon you. I'm projecting. But um, it's been really wonderful speaking to you. Um, I am definitely linking in those resources. And I hope that our conversation has sparked mm. some seedlings to bloom within people's brains and hearts. No, definitely. And I think, you know, being women of colour as well, I know that can be a really big mm -hmm. block for us. Cultural blocks is a real thing. Yeah, and, absolutely. And I think conversations happening at the moment. I posted something yesterday on Instagram about, you know, how we're not seeing that many Asian women and, you know, no, we, we we want you. Well, I yeah. do. <laughs> Seriously, because I just think to myself, um, I, I'm thinking about when, so my parents were, so look, carrying on now, but my parents were activists wow. in the 70s and 80s. And I just like, so uh, I spent p a significant portion of my childhood um in Southall, we lived in Southall, and it was black Asian people together yeah. Yeah. doing bits, even when we lived in Labrook Grove. And then I don't know what happened. Like Asian people disappeared from the diversity conversation. Yeah. So yeah. I'm really, really glad that, you know, people like you are showing up. A woman who is not saying two fingers up to my culture. It is, this is my culture and I do this, that and the other. Yeah. Yes. It's beautiful. Thank you so much, Tammy. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Um, so, yeah. Until next time. Yes, I can't wait. I'm yes. so excited. <laughs> good, good. Me too. Take care, my darling. Thank you. Thank you for listening to 360 Conversations. I appreciate you sharing your precious time with my guest and I. I hope you found the episode useful. I'd be so grateful if you could rate and review my podcast like an increasing number of our digital experiences, the algorithms rule. Your feedback will assist me reaching a wider audience and I'd really love to have more women being privy to or joining these conversations. The feedback I get following each episode is beautiful and tells me more women could benefit. As always, I'd love to keep the conversation going. You can join me by commenting on the podcast show notes on my website or via social media at Live360. I hope to engage with you soon. Podcast produced by me, Tammy Thomas. Podcast music produced by James Anderson. Take care.